Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. This morning, it's my privilege to introduce to you Dr. Dale Adkins. He is on the administrative board at Pensacola Christian College. He is the director of student care at Pensacola Christian College. He's been doing that for the past nine years. And before that, he was at Mansfield Baptist Temple in Mansfield, Ohio for 27 years. And together, he brings to our church this morning almost 50 years of ministry experience. And so I'm really excited to hear what he has to say this morning. Uh, Dr. Atkins has a great relationship with my mom. And none of you really know my mom, but if you did, you would know how much you need to pray for this man right here. Um, Because my mom's a wonderful, wonderful lady. I know she keeps him on his toes. And so I'm excited to hear him this morning. I know you'll be excited to hear what he has to say, but would you welcome him to our stage this morning as he comes to speak? Well, good morning. Let's take our Bibles, if you would, please, and we'll find our way to the Gospel of John, chapter number 6. The Gospel of John in chapter number 6. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you all today. I've been looking forward to this since we got the call a few weeks ago about this conference and about the opportunity to come and preach in this church. And I am truly thankful for the opportunity to be here. Uh, Richard mentioned about his mom. His mother is the thing that keeps me going uh, there at the college. She works as our administrative assistant there in the area where I'm at. And uh, basically, she is my brains. Uh, Without her, I would probably be retired a long time ago. So I appreciate her so very much, and I appreciate their entire family. His father is a real blessing and encouragement. His sisters that work at the college as well, they are certainly a great asset to the ministry. Again, it's just a joy to be with you all. First of all, I do want to apologize for the handshaking. I have a boo-boo on my right hand. And I'm not going to bore you with how it happened, but just suffice it to say it has to do with old age. So just leave it at that and we'll move on. But uh, so it makes it a little difficult for me to shake hands with my right hand, but I am willing to shake with the left or to do the bump or the elbow or the, you know, since COVID came upon us, we've come up on all different kinds of ways to greet each other. But I do apologize for not being able to shake hands in the normal way. I praise the Lord for the missionaries that you had with you this morning. What a great group. I I was so excited when they came and gave their testimony to hear what God's doing in the country of Uruguay. And it was exciting to me to watch as that wife interpreted for her husband. And I kept thinking, I'm just so thankful my wife's not here. Because I'm afraid she might get an idea that perhaps she should stand next to me and interpret what I'm saying for the benefit of those (laughs) that are not from the South. Uh, It it, it could be helpful, I suppose. You found your way to the Gospel of John chapter 6. This matter of missions, it never ceases to amaze me when I look into the Word of God and and, and I'm reminded, Acts chapter 1, you remember when Jesus was standing there on the Mount of of Ascension and preparing to go back into heaven? And He turned around to His disciples and He gave them His last word. We're always interested, aren't we, to know what someone's last words were. We always want to know, did He have any last words? You probably heard that story about the old guy, I came from, come from southeastern Kentucky, You probably heard the story about the old guy that was dying. 
And his family was there with him. And then finally the old man passed away. And when he passed away, his son came out of the room. And there were different ones that greeted him. They said, we're so sorry about your father. And then someone asked him, he said, son, did, did your daddy have any last words? And the boy looked at him and said, no, sir, he didn't. Mom was with him all the way to the end, and she always had the last word. <laughs> so well, we're always interested in someone's last words. You remember what Jesus' last words were? When he was getting ready to ascend back up into heaven, you have to know his heart was there in heaven. His eyes were stretched up in that direction. But he turned back to his disciples and he said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He said this, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. His very last words that he gave on this earth had to do with the gospel and reaching of people with the message of salvation. This morning I bring you to the New Testament book of the Gospel of John in chapter number 6. I want you to look, if you would, at verse number 1. The Bible records for us these words. And after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And verse 4 tells us that the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him in verse 7, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered, gather, they, excuse me, therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the uh, fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come in the world. There are somewhere in the neighborhood of 34 individual miracles that are recorded in the New Testament that the Lord Jesus performed while he was here on this earth. Now we know that in this same Gospel of John, chapter 21, the very last verse, John made the comment that if everything that the Lord did while he was on the earth had been recorded, not all the books in all the world could contain it. But we know that the Lord chose to record for us 34 individual miracles that he performed. The interesting thing to me is this. Of those 34 miracles, there is only one that is recorded in all four of the gospel records. And the one that is recorded in all four of the gospel records is the one that we looked at this morning in our reading. This matter of the feeding of the 5,000. So immediately that tells me there must be something very, very significant about this miracle. We know all of his miracles were significant. We know that all of them were miracles to remind us about his grace and his mercy and his saving power. But there must be something very special about this one. Because he records it for us in the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, the book of Luke, and the book of John. Now this morning, let's go back just for a few moments and let's rehearse again exactly what's set before us in these verses that we read in your hearing. We're going to talk about, first of all, the setting. 
Then we're going to talk about the characters that are involved. And then we're going to talk about the lessons that we can learn from each of those. So let's talk just for a few moments about the setting. Now, as far as the Gospel of John is concerned, what we read this morning, it just simply makes a statement in verse number one, after these things. But when you go to the, 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 the other Gospel records, you begin to realize that there was much more involved in it than just that. We realize that, that it was not just what took place in chapter number five, but we see also that uh, it talks about in, in the other gospel records that it came after his message of the Sermon on the Mount. We know that it was after the death of John the Baptist. It was after the att- one of the attempts of the Pharisees to take his life. All of these things were, were involved. It took place in Galilee. Now, I think you probably know if you're a student of the New Testament that the Gospel of John does not record very much of the ministry of the Lord Jesus when he was in in Galilee. But the Bible tells us very clearly that this was the area where he was when he performed this marvelous miracle. We also know that it had to be near the time of the Passover. Did you see that in verse number 4? The Bible says the, the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. Would you think about that phrase with me just for a moment? I find it rather tragic. If you go back to the book of Exodus, this feast was referred to as the Passover of the Lord or the Lord's Passover. But now in the process of time, in the passing of generations, it has simply become known as the Jews' Passover. I wonder this morning how many of the things that you and I do have simply become the things that we do. They don't honor God like they were meant to. I wonder how many glorious truths that the Bible lays down for us that to you and I have just become mundane and everyday. They took the Lord's Passover and now it's simply known as the Passover of the Jews. This is the setting where the Lord Jesus made preparation to, to perform one of the greatest miracles that's recorded for us in the New Testament. So let's move past the setting. And let's talk just for a few moments about the characters that are involved here. Now, please, when I say the characters, don't take that to mean that these were not real people. Don't take that to mean that just this, this is just simply a, a story that's put down on page, the pages of the Word of God and there's no real uh, experience involved. There's no real uh, true existence that's involved. That's not it at all. But I just want us to talk about the individuals that are mentioned in this parable or in this miracle and what we can learn from them. Would you first of all consider with me the Lord Jesus Christ? He must always be the first. In any conversation that comes up, always Christ has to be first. He's the center of everything. Without him, John told us in John chapter 15, without him we can do nothing. He's the vine, we're the branches. And without him we can do nothing. He's the head of the church. Anything of value that ever comes out of the work of the church All the glory, all the majesty, all the praise has to go to Him, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to see in verse number 6, the Bible shows us in verse number 6 that Jesus had a purpose that went far deeper than just feeding these people when He performed this miracle. They had come to Him, and uh, uh, Philip had come and said, why don't we go buy bread to feed these people? Look at verse number 6. The Bible says, and this He said to prove Him. For he himself knew what he would do. He, he turned to Philip to talk with him about what should be done. But the Bible says Jesus already knew what was going to be done. He did it not to fill empty bellies. He did it to prove them. 
I wonder how many times God's at work in my life and your life through circumstances and situations and things that happen to us and, and we only see them as, as a, perhaps a need being met. We have a, a, a bill that we owe and we don't have the money to pay that bill and we're praying and asking God, Lord, help us to meet this need and He does so. Did He do it just to help us pay a bill? Or perhaps did He do it to prove us, to work in our lives, to teach us? When I first went to Mansfield, I, I pastored in Kentucky for about 13 years before I went to Ohio. And when I went to Ohio, we have a Christian school. And uh, so the very first year that I was there, I, I took on responsibility of teaching in the high school Bible to the juniors and seniors. I thought, piece of cake, you know, no problem. I could teach juniors and seniors the Bible, no trouble. So I'll never forget the very first day I walk into class. I, all my teaching previous to this had been in an institute with, with preacher boys and, and uh, in, in church settings and so forth, you know, trying to, to teach people that really wanted to be there, that wanted to hear what was being done. So I walked into class that first day, announced that we were going to be studying the book of Acts, picked up my piece of chalk, turned around, started writing on the board. These are the old days, by the way. You can tell if I was writing on a blackboard with a piece of chalk. But anyway, I'm writing on the blackboard, the book of Acts, and Luke the, the, is the, the human author, and, and centers around Peter, and centers around Paul, all these facts about the book of Acts. And I'm just writing away. And I turned around and looked at the crowd, the boys, the, the young people that were sitting there. They were just staring at me this blank look on their face. And then someone held up their hand. And those of you that have ever, ever been in the classroom know exactly what they ask. They said, should we be writing this down? And then the next question, of course, was this. Is this going to be on the test? There was a breakdown in communication there. I was wanting to teach them something that could be life-changing. <laughs> They were only concerned with the immediate. Should we be writing this down? Is this going to be on the test? Not going to be on the test? No sense to write it down. I wonder sometimes how many times you and I are sitting there with that blank look on our face when God is at work in our lives, when God is doing something in our life, and we're sitting there thinking, is this going to be on the test? Should I be writing this down? And yet the purpose of our Lord is to prove us. The purpose of our Lord is to work in our hearts and work in our lives and to change us and transform us to be what He wants us to be. The first character that we consider is the Lord Jesus Himself. He always has to be first. The second individuals that I want you to think about are the disciples. Now, Matthew chapter 14 and again in Mark chapter 6, both of us show us that, that collectively the disciples were overwhelmed by this multitude of people. They were overwhelmed by the great need that they presented. And their solution was this, send them away. You know, out of sight, out of mind. They're hungry, they've got to have something to eat, but that's not our problem. Send them away. They were like most committees. They realized that individually they could do nothing. And that collectively nothing could be done. And so that was what they were going to accomplish. But there's two individual disciples that I want to draw your attention to quickly that are given to us here in the text in John chapter 6. In verse number 7 it talks about Philip. Philip is what I call a statistical pessimist. In verse number 7 Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. Now first of all, there is no indication they had 200 penny worth of bread. There's no indication that they had that kind of money to even buy the bread if it was available. He was just making a statement. If we had that much, if we had 200 penny worth of bread, we wouldn't have enough to give even a little. Every church has a few statistical pessimists in it, don't we? 
Every church has a few folks that go around with a calculator all the time, and they're figuring out, can't be done. Sorry, preacher, I know you'd like to, do, I know you'd like to put a missionary on every, uh, in every country in all the world by 2035, but you do understand it can't be done. Can't be a We don't have enough to do it. No way it can be possible. Every church has a few statistical pessimists. But then we also find this man, Andrew, in verse 8 and verse number 9. And we know that Andrew was what I call a wavering optimist. What wa uh, Andrew was always bringing some by the Lord. And this time when he came to the Lord, he had a little lad. And he said, well, we've got this little lad here, and he's got this lunch of five barley loaves and two fishes. But then on the other hand, what is that among so many? He was optimistic in the fact that he had a kid and he had a lunch. But okay, what's that among so many? And again, in our churches, how many wavering optimists are they? Yes, yes, we need to reach the, the, the world by 20... We need to put a missionary on every country in the world by 2035. But how in the world are we going to do it? How in the world can that ever be accomplished? It just seems like a, a pipe dream. So we have Christ. We have the disciples. In particular, we have Philip, the statistical pessimist. And we have Andrew, the wavering optimist. But then we also need to think just for a moment about this lad that's mentioned in verse number 9. Do you realize that from the Bible we know nothing about him? Now, from preachers, I know a whole lot about him. I'm like you. I've heard multitudes of messages about that little lad, and they filled in all the details about who he was and where he came from and what happened before he got there and you know, what his family was like and how his mother treated him. We get all that information. But the truth is, from the Bible, we know absolutely nothing about him. By the way, it's interesting to me that the Gospel of John is the only one of the four Gospels that even mentions there was a lad. If you go to the other three Gospels, all it talks about is the lunch. Nothing is mentioned about a lad being present. And it does not say that the boy gave his lunch. For all we know, Andrew wrestled it away from him. It, it, it doesn't say that he gave his lunch. Now, I, I, hope, I hope that was the case, and I prefer to believe that he gave his lunch, as we often portray him as doing, but the Bible doesn't really say that. The Bible just says that Andrew announced to the Lord Jesus and those that were with him, there's a lad here. You know, he may have had him in a headlock, for all I know. There's a lad here, and he's got a lunch, and he's got a five barley loaves and two little fishes, but what are they among so many? And then the last part of the characters that we need to consider is the lunch. The Bible simply tells us that the lunch was made up of five bar loaves, two small fishes. Now please understand, this was not like five loaves of, of Wonder Bread and, and two big old catfish. When we're talking about five loaves and two fishes, we're talking about what amounted to about probably five little silver dollar pancakes, about that size, and two little old sardines. That was all that they had. And barley, by the way, was the, most, the simplest food that, that was possible. As a matter of fact, it, it was not really even eaten oftentimes by, by human beings. In the Talmud, the Jewish Talmud, there is a statement where someone says, here is a fine field of barley. And the response is, tell to the horses and donkeys. That's what barley was usually uh, used for. So we got five little barley loaves, five little silver dollar pancakes, and two little sardines. So here, here's the setting. Galilee, time of the feast of the Jews, the Passover of the Jews. Here are the characters, the Lord Jesus, the disciples, the lad, and his lunch. Now let's back up and let's talk just for a few moments about the lessons that we can learn from each one of those. First of all, would you think with me for a moment about the lunch? 
the lunch. There's an old song that we used to sing that many of you are familiar with that just simply said that little is much when God is in it. Now think about this. In the hands of the lad and in the hands of Andrew, it was almost funny to even mention the lunch. I mean, it was almost ridiculous to even talk about it. When it was in the hands of that little lad, no way it could have met the needs of those people. When it was in the hands of Andrew, no way it could have met the needs of those people. You know, sometimes, especially during missions conference time, and other times of the year when we have missionaries in, sometimes you have a little family like we had this morning that comes and stands before us, and they talk about their call and the burden of where they're going. You're like I have. You've seen them come. Sometimes younger couples, they got little kids. They'll be a, a husband and wife and three or four little towhead kids. And they'll stand up and they'll say, well, we're, we're going to a country in, in South America. And in the city that we're going to, there's, there's you know, 500,000 people that live in this city. And we're the only gospel preaching missionaries that are there. And you hear that and you think, what in the world do they ever expect to accomplish? What, what, do they ever, what do they think they could possibly do in a place like that? One little old family going off down to a city of 500,000 people. And you realize that if it was in their own power, if it was by their own efforts, they probably wouldn't accomplish much. But you understand, when you take that lunch out of the hands of that little lad, and then you turn around and you take that lunch out of the hands of Andrew, and you place it into the hands of an eternal God, it was more than sufficient to meet the need of all that were there, and there were 12 baskets full that was left over. I'm saying to you this morning, folks, little is much when God is in it. The same thing comes when it comes to this matter. The same thing applies when it comes to this matter of our, our grace giving. Sometimes you look at the need. Oh, my soul, the need all over the world, people lost, and, 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 and the missionaries that need to go, and oh, how we, much we need to give. And then you look and you realize, well, here, here's what I can do. Here's what I can do. And then you think, but why would I even bother? It's, it's so insignificant. There's no way that this, this can be a help. There, there's no way that this can help meet them. There's no way that what I have to give is going to make a difference. But you realize it's not while it's in your hands that's important. It's when it gets out of our hands. And it gets into the hands of the Savior. And then He is able to take it and multiply it and multiply it and multiply it and multiply it to meet every need. I'm saying to you again this morning, the lesson of the lunch is little is much when God is in it. And when you and I are willing to take what little is in our hands and get it out of our hands and put it into His hands, He can meet every need. What about the lad? Well, we said a few moments ago that this little guy was unknown to us. We don't know anything about him. And we also mentioned the fact that there's only one of the gospel records that even tells us that there, there was a lad. But would you think with me about that just for a moment? Because I think there's something significant here. You, you remember that the four gospels are given to us to, port, to portray four different aspects of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that Matthew speaks of the king. We know that Mark is the gospel of the servant. We know that Luke is the gospel of the son of man. 
and that John is the eagle gospel, the gospel of God. Now rewind your thinking just for a moment and think about this. And, and we see that portrayed for us in the genealogies of nothing else. In, in the Gospel of Matthew, we have the genealogy actually of Joseph, if you trace it back. It's the royal line. It traces Joseph back through Solomon and then back to David. And it establishes the fact that Jesus Christ has a legal right to the throne of Israel. You realize that he is the only living Jew anywhere that can legally lay claim to the throne of Israel. He's the only one that has the, the genealogical record that allows him to lay uh, claim to the throne. It goes through his father, Joseph. But understand, to a king, it would not matter who brought the lunch. It wouldn't be of any difference. Mark is the gospel of the servant. There is no genealogy in the, book of, in the gospel of Mark because who cares about the genealogy of a servant? It doesn't matter where a servant came from. Now, a king needs that, that line, that, that, that royal line. But a servant, who cares where they come from? All you care about with a servant is can he serve? And that's what the whole gospel of Mark is taken up with, the Lord Jesus doing and doing and doing and doing. It's the gospel of servant. Servant doesn't care about the boy. Servants only care about serving. Luke's the gospel of the Son of Man. We know that the gospel of Luke, the genealogy, is the gospel of Mary. If you trace her, it, back to, to, it goes back to David, but it doesn't go through Solomon, the royal line. It goes back through, through Nathan, another son of David. And there's a reason why that has to be true that I'm not going to take the time this morning to explain to you. But there's a reason why that has to be true, that, she, that Christ not only had a, a legal right to the throne, he also had a bloodline that took him back to the throne, an unbroken bloodline. But again, let's be honest, as men, we rarely care about kids anyway and what they do. Oh, but wait a minute. That brings us to the gospel of John, the gospel of God. I know some would say, well, there is no genealogy in the gospel of John either, but there really is. Because the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about the Lord Jesus. He is God of very God. And who is the one gospel that even talks about the boy. It's the gospel of God. The Bible says that there's not one cup of cold water that's ever given in his name that he's ever forgotten. God remembered the little lad. And by the way, he remembers everything that you and I have ever done for the cause of Christ. He doesn't forget it. He remembers every sacrifice that you've ever made. You may think that no one ever knew about it. No one ever noticed. Maybe when you went and talked to that person about their soul or you went to try to help that person that was down, nobody ever knew that you were going. Nobody ever knew what you had done. God knows and He cares. Even when you give, no one knows what you're giving. Nobody else's business. But God knows. God knows and God never forgets. What about the disciples? We talked about the, the, the lesson of the lunch. We talked about the lesson of the little lad. What about the disciples? Well, the lesson is very simple there. They had their doubts, but then don't we all? <laughs> Let's be honest, don't we all from time to time have our doubts? But when they responded to the command of Christ, in verse number 10, we saw it a moment ago, when they responded to the command of Christ, and they did exactly what he told them to, he said, have them sit down, and then take it and distribute it. When they were willing to be waiters, have you ever thought about that? That's all they were. They were just waiters. They just had a little cloth over their arm and, may I serve you, sir? May I serve you, ma'am? May I serve you? May I serve you? And they just went among the crowd and they just passed it out. You understand again, when you and I are just willing to be a waiter, 
in the Lord's service. Just be a waiter. Just serve. Be obedient to Him. Be obedient to His calling in our life. What God can do. Well, that brings us then back to where we started from, and that's back to the Lord Jesus Himself. It's fitting fitting that we should finish with the one that we started with, because He's the master of multiplication, and nothing ever placed in His hands is ever wasted. Several years ago, we had a missionary family come to our church there in Mansfield. They were going, if I remember correctly, to Australia. It's been several years ago now. Good family, making some real sacrifices to go to the field. We took them on for support, began to, to support, pray for their family. Several weeks after that, matter of fact, it's probably several months after that, he was on his way to a service one night by himself. His wife did not, could not go. It was late. He was on a country road. A deer ran out on the road in front of him. And why he swerved to miss the deer, I do not know. But he swerved to miss the deer and drove straight into a tree and killed him instantly. But you know what our tendency to say is? What a waste. What a waste. Here was a family. He was going to go to the mission field. What a waste. Why would God let that happen? Understand, nothing is ever wasted that's placed in the hands of our Savior. It's never wasted. Oh, by our estimation, it may not have achieved what we thought it should, but it's never wasted when it's placed in His hands. What have you placed in the hands of the Savior? What have you put in His hands, given to Him? Understand this, whatever it is, it's never wasted. Even if it doesn't achieve what you thought it should or thought it would, it's never, ever wasted. I I think you would agree with me this morning (laughs) that that God doesn't need us. He he didn't need that lunch that day. He he didn't need those five barley loaves and those two little fishes. Jesus could have commanded the bread or the stones to be made bread. We know that. He could have gotten that food from anywhere. But aren't you glad that he let that little lad be involved? Aren't you glad he let those disciples see what was going on? You understand this morning? Listen to me now what I'm going to say to you. God doesn't need you and I to sacrificially give for missions. He could rain silver dollars out of heaven if he chose to do so. He, he could turn the stones of the ground into gold if he chose to do so. But I'm so thankful that in his great plan, he has made it possible that we can participate. Are you listening? We can participate in something so wonderful as getting the gospel out to a world that's lost in sin. This morning, this morning, would you consider that? What part God wants you to play? You say, well, couldn't God do it? Yeah, God can do it on his own. He could. But that wasn't his plan. His plan was that you and I be a part and that you and I then be able to celebrate what the Lord does because we have seen him work in our lives. I call this the crown miracle, or crown jewel, I should say, of Christ's miracle. The crown jewel of Christ's miracles. Why is it only one mentioned in all four of the Gospels? I'm not sure completely. But my soul, what a truth it sets before us. That our God allows you and I 
to be a part of getting what the world needs distributed to them. Let's bow our heads for prayer. In just a moment, Pastor Richard will come and take charge of the, of the invitation today, but while we wait just a moment, could I, could I just ask you a question? First of all, do you know in your heart of hearts that there was a time when you personally were a recipient of the grace of God by putting your trust in Him as your Savior? It's very possible that someone's come this way this morning that does not know Christ. And my prayer for you is that today you'd see your need, that you'd realize how much He loved you and the price that He paid for you, and that today you would turn and trust Him as Savior. It may be today that you are saved, you know you're saved. But I ask you again, are you a part of this plan? Can you imagine what it would have been like to have been one of those disciples and stood off on the side and said, I don't want to be, I, don't, I know, I don't want to be part of this. This is crazy, I'm not going to be a part of this. My soul, what he would have missed out on. <laughs> I don't want to miss out on what God's got for me. And I don't think you want to miss out on what God's got for you. Would you this morning just ask God, Lord, help me to know what I can do? It seems little to the world. It's insignificant. But little is much when God is in it. And he can take that little and magnify and multiply and do far above and beyond what we ever would think could be possible. Would you let God have his way in your heart this morning? Father, I pray you'd bless in our invitation time. Bless and that your perfect will be done, we pray in Christ's name. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.